Welcome to Rogue Bogues, the basketball series. Myself, Andrew Bogut, and my good friend, Mike Procopio. Mike, how is the US treating you? Bogues, I'm home alone. Uh, my family is at Disney World, believe it or not, and I'm not there. Um, I had some stuff I had to do here, uh, workouts and some clinic stuff and some uh, work to do. But not only am I not at Disney, which I'm a fucking Disney freak, uh, my favorite show, I don't know if you watch, you, you ever watch Yellowstone Bugs? Oh, man, big fan, yep. Oh, it's my favorite show of all time. Not of all time, but it's my favorite show right now. Not only that, but 1883 and 1923, but Rip from uh, Yellowstone. So my wife has a, um, a conference in Orlando. So she's ta- she takes the family to Disney and does like double dip. So like... It's a big time company. It's called Banfield Veterinarian Company, and um, it's all over the United States. And they've got like, you know, something for the for the employees at night. They've got Rip doing a question and answer. I'm 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 literally like beside <laughs> myself. I just found that out today. I I could go, you know, I can go in there. Maybe I could play Jimmy on the sh- you know and do, reenact Jimmy so he could tell me to shut the fuck up. I got you know. That guy's one of my favorite. You're not getting on. You're not getting on a horse. You're not getting on a horse, though, bro. That's the bad news. Somebody's gonna be getting on me. <laughs> I've got the same problem, height wise. I'm not getting yeah. on no, no horse neither. I got to find a bloody, a really a steroided up horse to get my ass on that thing. But uh, or, or they'll be hurting me in the field, me and the rest yeah, of the cows. Yeah. But no, everything's good. Yellowstone might or might not have been the reason why I just recently bought a ranch, bro. So you bought um, a ranch, folks. Oh yeah, yeah, somewhat a ranch. Um, not because of Yellowstone solely, but definitely helped. Um, yeah, I've, I've been looking for land for a long, long time, and um, nice. found a nice property in an undisclosed location with with a few hundred acres, and pretty pumped about that. So um, got some four wheelers out there, and uh, nice place to take the kids and disconnect off Wi Fi and all that fun stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, I just got to – there's actually horses on it, funnily enough. Uh, the previous owners left his uh, – allowed him, because I'm such a nice guy, to leave his uh, his wild horses on the property because it's good to keep away snakes and all that kind of stuff, and they, they keep the trails pretty flat. So when, once you visit, pro, once you finally, you know, put some, well, put some folks, cash together. I mean, seriously, I now, like, look, I, I'm all for – you know, I'm all for the deal we signed with the show and everything, but now I see that you're you're building studios – and I'm like, come on, folks! Like, yeah, you're building studios over there. I'm eating spam out of a fucking can here. Can can you get me over there to do a clinic or something? I mean, you are one of the most powerful basketball people in Australia. Can you help a brother out? I mean, come on, man. We'll figure something out. We're, gonna, we're definitely going to do something. So, listeners, if you uh, if you would sign up for the pro camp. Uh, no pun intended. Let us know because we'd definitely like to do it down in the future. But enough of the boring stuff. Our sure. listeners are here for the for the basketball news and analytics and fun stuff and shenanigans. And let's get rolling right with it. Uh, team of the week. Interested to hear who you've got. I'm going to let you go first this time, pro. Folks, I got what you got. So let's. Um, I got the Memphis Grizzly. Oh no, wait. You don't have the Memphis Grizzlies, do you? You said they were weak, right? I mean, you weren't weak, but well, their schedule was weak. I had the Memphis Grizzlies in the running. I've got honorable mentions: uh, Memphis and Boston. The only yeah. reason I didn't have them in there 
is because I thought their schedule was very light. Um, yeah. Over the last week, at least, uh, Memphis had San Antonio twice, Utah, Indiana. That's Boston had Boston had Chicago, New Orleans, Brooklyn, and Charlotte. So I end up I'll, I'll go first then, since you forced it out of me. But I, I got Denver <laughs> yeah, getting okay. getting the nod, and that's only because. They beat the Lakers, Phoenix. People might say, okay, not great teams. They beat the Clippers with no Jokic and then beat Orlando. And Orlando's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, are, are not easy beats. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of kind of my my thinking around it. Uh, Denver's playing, you know, really good basketball at the moment. They're, um, you know, they're sharing the ball. They're, they're, you know, actually hold the phone. I could be wrong. It's 103-102 for Orlando in the fourth. They've made a little comeback. So I could be wrong on the team of the week. Um, that game's going as we record. But but yeah, I just think Denver being able to have Jokic in and out of the lineup and actually being able to win those games now is a big step for them. I think Aaron Gordon, uh, I had a friend that's a Denver fan, and he wasn't a huge fan of getting Gordon, but he said this season he's been really happy with the way he's played. He's played much better basketball for them. Um, I think KCP's been solid for him. Bones off the bench has been good for him. So they've got a really good mix. Um, and for them to be, you know, top top one, two, three in the West is is, is pretty impressive. All, albeit Jokic, another MVP caliber year. So that's, you know, I think probably Memphis and Boston probably a little bit hard done by the old Bogues, but I had to go with Denver just based on they beat a good Clipper team that was all healthy bar Paul George uh, without Jokic in LA is, a, is an impressive win for me. Yeah, Bogues. I mean, this Denver team is is the real deal. Um, at least in the regular season, I think in the postseason, offensively, you know, if they have enough offensive weapons to really, you know, to make a big splash to get to a final. But um, I think we talked about it last year with this team, the importance of Aaron Gordon just accepting a role. Like, you know, I think you know, young players in this league, when you're lottery picks and you're top five picks, top ten picks, you know, you, you have a certain expectation of like, oh, I want to be. You know, all star. I want to be this. I want to be that. And then, like you know, in Orlando, he's really good, but they never really won. And then he gets, you know, he gets shipped out to Denver. And you know, I, I think at first he was like, I think I read in the media, like, you know, I want more of a role, this and that. I think once he's figured out, like, I gotta be the tough guy, the re- the, the defender, the cutter off of Jokic. Jokic makes my job a lot easier because. Look, Jokic is a, obviously the franchise player, one of the best players in the history of their franchise. Um, but he makes the game so easy because of his ability to pass. So, like, Gordon could space, he can cut. He doesn't have to really, like, get plays called for him. I mean, Jokic, anytime Jokic has the ball, that's a play for you because he'll find you. And they've got a lot of weapons. Like, they got Jamal Murray, who sort of plays that Andre Miller role. Big guard who could score. You could shoot it better than, you know, Miller could. But, you know, he's got that big guard who could score, play one and two. Caldwell Pope's playing well. Um, you know, Michael Porter, I'm not a huge fan of, but he scores it. And then second, you know, second unit, you know, Bones Highland, I've got him rated as one of the top backup guards in the in the league. Bruce Brown plays hard. So they got really good coaching. Um, like you said, they won without Jokic, you know, a game or so. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like them. I'm a big fan and uh, they've done, they've done some good things and, you know, they're fun. They're a fun team to watch because they sort of grind it out. They play through the post. It's not really like a, a normal NBA team to watch folks. What, what do you think? Yeah. And you point on Aaron Gordon's spot on. He, he's actually finally realized that if he cuts, you know, 50% of the time, Jokic is getting him a layup. Um, early on in his tenure there, we noticed that he was standing in the corner you know, from three a lot, not a whole lot of movement where he's realized he's cutting. The other thing I've noticed is um, he's passing the ball better. Uh, he, you know, he, he's – and that's the that's contagious from 
Um, Jokic, he's making the simple plays at times where it's a swing-swing or a hockey assist even though you don't get the stat. And his numbers have been better. You look at his numbers this season compared to last when he arrived in Denver. Um, his first season in Denver wasn't great. He was 10 a night. He's 15 points last last season. He's at 16.5 points this season with better clips from the field by 7-odd percent. He's shooting almost 60% from the field. He's shooting 4% better from three, almost 38%. He's averaging more rebounds. He's about the same with assists and, and steals and block shots. So he's having a better year, career year, than he has the last couple of seasons, and, and they're winning, so it's no surprise. He's 27 years old. I think he's starting to come into his own a little bit about playing that role, still being a good second, third option next to Jokic. And he can just get a lot of cheap baskets. The pressure's off him. You know, it's not Orlando Gordon where we're going to throw it to you, get us a bucket to keep us in a game. You can sneak up on people being that third, fourth option sometimes. So I think um, his growth has been good to watch and he's accepted that role. So who do you have? Well, because I got the Memphis. I was going to take Boston because, you know, Boston's so good, but we've picked them a bunch. And I don't know if I've picked Memphis yet this year. And yeah, they they, they had a little softer schedule um, of the teams they beat. But 9-1, and one, they won 9 in a row. Got to give them a little bit of credit for that. Um, you know, for the first time in a long time, they got Jaron Jackson back in the lineup. And like consistently in the lineup, he's averaging, you know, 16 and a half and 6.8. Um, really good defensively for them. Really good offensively. Obviously takes a little bit of pressure off of John Morant. I think John Morant has been establishing himself this week as maybe one of the better, probably one of the top 10 dunkers in game dunk. And I'm not a huge dunk guy, but it is pretty impressive what he does in-game dunk-wise. It reminds me a lot of Westbrook early in his career. He's one of the better in-game dunkers on people that I've seen in a long time. Um, he's got a lot of, you know, he's got a lot of balls. I don't know if he's got a lot of brains, but he's got a lot of balls, you know, being able to go up against those guys and do that. But, um, you know, they're playing well. Like, they've, they've obviously had some injury issues with, you know, guys going in and out of the lineup. But, you know, their second unit isn't great, but they're sort of getting, you know, they're getting it done. Um, you know, guys like Brandon Clark and, you know, um, Tyus Jones sort of plays his role and Conchar, you know, Conchar plays well, but, um, you know, I love this team, man, like Steven Adams and Morant and Bain and Dylan Brooks, like, you know, they got a good line. They, they got a good team. They're going to definitely challenge for the West. You know, hopefully they could be healthy enough come playoff time. And then have enough offense, just like Denver. Like you, you get this is enough to get through your first round without question, maybe second. But do you have enough offense to really get it done when they start defenses start really picking up on Morant and forcing Bain, Jaron Jackson, and other guys to be playmakers and make you know make play for the team? What do you think about Memphis, folks? Yeah, I like them. I just don't know if they. I feel like they're they're a tough team. They're great. But I, I feel like they get ahead of themselves sometimes. Um, yeah. You know, there were the comments that Clay criticized that they were talking about themselves as a dynasty. That's where they concern me. I, I, f- I feel like they haven't done shit yet, theoretically. Like, yeah. they've, they've been a great regular season team. They're fun to watch. Jamarant's a superstar. They've got great role players. They've got a mix of veterans and youth. Love it. But, you know, you've got to prove that in the playoffs over the course of multiple seven-game series. You've got to get out of that tough Western Conference and, and then – you know, then win a championship, we start entertaining the fact that you're a dynasty. So my, my concern is their mental makeup, um, just making those silly comments. And that, look, that could, you could put that down to being young and dumb and brash and confident, but pump the brakes a little bit, focus on we're not there yet. We're a great regular season team. That doesn't mean shit. You, you go out in straight sets in the first round, you could win 80 games. You know, uh, we, I mean, I was part of a team that won 73 games and we finished second and no one remembers it. Right, you, you got to win it that year to, to be in that conversation. So that's where their next step is to 
no more oh, second rounds good for Memphis. No, you're you're talking the talk right now, and you're playing great basketball and fun to watch. One of the most exciting teams, you know, it's conference finals slash finals or bust, in my opinion. So that's where I think I want to see their next step in in the playoffs. Bogues, they wouldn't be NBA players if they weren't delusional, right? I mean, how many? <laughs> you know, that, I think that's yeah, like but the, look, I mean, right? our journey, I. I the Warriors' journey was, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but our, our journey was just kind of initially, before the KD stuff, before that. W- the way we built it up, we snuck up on people because we kept that kind of in-house. We had belief in ourselves, and we weren't like, oh, we're going we're going to be the best team, this, that, this, that. We just kind of slowly snuck up on everyone, and then bang, got the championship, and then we talked, you know? Um, whereas I think, you know, you just gotta want to be careful you don't get ahead of yourself. But yeah, you're right. There is, there is a bit of delusion there. You want that confidence, but it's a fine line, right? You you want to be you want to be confident, but you don't want to get it to a point where it actually hurts you. Right. No, I agree. I do agree with that. They gotta before you start talking, but you know how NBA teams are, like players, they they gotta you know you gotta earn it first. So they gotta beat real teams in the playoffs, and they gotta get places before you know they sort of start talking that that, that talk. But it's the NBA. It's just you know there's some blasphemy as far as what comes out of players' mouths. You know, when they haven't really accomplished anything and they want to talk like they have. But that's just sort of the league we're in. It's a young person league. They're not the smartest people sometimes when they talk out of, out of line. But what are you going to do? It's a circus with no tent. So, you know, let's, let's just roll with it. You know what I'm saying? We'll get to those circus comments later as well. We've got some some nice comments from uh, Popovich about that. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, weak team of the, my weak team. Uh, this was a tough one. There was a lot of candidates. Charlotte. You know, they've been awful. Indiana had a pretty bad week. Chicago, a bad week. The Spurs and Houston, I mean, you can give, that to, give it to them every other week, the way they play. Uh, but I'm going to go with Portland. Um, I think that, you know, even though they, they got a big win against Dallas yesterday and they're playing again right now, they've just had a bad week, pretty bad month. Um, three and seven in the last 10 before today's game. They slipped to 12 in the West but got back up to 11 with a win against Dallas. So they've fallen out of the playoff mix and they were in there for, they were in the, they were in the meat of that for a while, playing really good basketball. We were impressed with their start to the season. They were first at one point in the in the West to start the season. Um, and just more their losses, Toronto twice in that realm, Cleveland, Orlando. You know, Orlando's a tough beat, as we know, for how bad they are, but you can't you can't lose to Orlando. You can't lose to Toronto twice. Um they do have uh, Peyton Jr. back who brings them a lot more defensive presence, which has been key. He was really, really good against uh, against uh, Doncic in, in their last game two nights ago. But uh, a bit of concern. They've, they've fallen off the face of the earth, so they need to get some form back. Lillard's been, Lillard's been in and out of the lineup at times, which doesn't help, but uh, it just seems that, that that same old point of the season for Portland, they start off really well generally or they're around 500 and then they have like a bad three or four weeks. It seems like that's been the story you know, probably for the last two or three seasons, even when Stotts was still there. So a bit of concern there for me. Yeah, Bogues, I mean, the NBA, it's a daily it's a daily battle. It's a da- daily fight, like every game. And every team you play has NBA players on it. It's not like college where you play like, you know, Pacific University that's going to win four games a year. You know, like there's – where you know how you know how you were in college, like your first four or five games are like tune ups. They were just easy teams. You knew you were gonna beat. In the NBA, I don't care how bad the team that you play, you can get beat on any given night because everybody's got NBA players. Want you know every team's got at least one guy that could bust your ass. You know that's a really good player, and then they've got you know they've got their the rest of their their lineups and stuff. 
And Portland's got to understand, regardless of you know who's healthy, who's not, you got to come and strap it on every night, and you got to you got to compete because it's the mental game in the NBA. Every night, there's 82 games. Nobody gives a fuck what your record is. Nobody gives a, gives a fuck who's on your team. You know, you gotta you gotta go for the throat every night, or or you're gonna get beat. And that's the consistency of being a playoff team. It's really hard. I mean, it's easier now because of the play-in, but. It's really hard to be a playoff team, you know, after the f- first four teams, you know, talent-wise, you know, not, you know, you got to grind it out every night and you got to win games. And if you lose two, three in a row, it, then you got to get those wins back. And, you know, then you got injuries you got to deal with, shuffling lineups, all this stuff and road trips and back-to-backs. And it's a tough deal. And Portland's got to figure it out. Look, they've got, obviously, Lillard is their guy. They got Simons and... You know, Jeremy Grant, you know, Nurkic is good. They got, you know, their second unit's okay. They got Gary Payton back. Shaden Sharp is sort of up and down. Um, You know, there's not really that other guy off the bench that could really bust your ass. But, you know, they got, they are, they are struggling for sure. I I sort of took a look at them and, you know, it's, um, you know, they're sitting there, what, at 11 right now, you know, tied with Phoenix. You know, nine, I think they're nine back if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, yeah, Bogues, they got to step it up and they got to earn it. And, you know, it's a tough league, man. It's a tough league. And they haven't even done that at Los Angeles Clippers bullshit where they're sitting everybody for fucking, you know, for load management. They're they're playing their guys. They just had some injury stuff. So they got to they gotta step it the fuck up. You know, they got to figure it out because, you know, they got these young players and they get Lillard. Like, are you old? Are you young? Are you developing? What are you going to do? I don't know. I didn't really like them much in the beginning of the year, but you know, right now they're sort of in a tough spot. Yeah, they shocked both of us coming out of the gate the way they did. Like we definitely didn't expect them to yeah. to be as good as they were, and and I think they've fallen back to probably where we thought they'd be. So um, it'd be interesting to see if they can scratch a plane. Who do you have, folks? I get the Clippers. You know, three and seven. Now the first argument will be, well, you know, these guys didn't play, but like. You know, if you're a championship level team, which I think everybody sort of points at them as being championship level, like you got to step up. Like we talk about it all the time about like you want to see how much value you got in this league. Well, how about you fucking show it when guys are out and you got to up your you got to up your role a little bit. And you know, I guess we could have that conversation bogs about load management is it you know is it the right thing they're doing sitting these guys all the time or not but like you still got Marcus Morris you still got Zubac you still got you know you got John Wall Reggie Jackson Norman Powell you know you got Batum you've got NBA players in your team you still got a decent I mean it is hard when your top two players like that with all your cap is really into and everything's geared towards are out on a regular basis but like you still got to win games, and if you're gonna win, I mean, in, in the playoffs, they figure out really good teams figure out how to isolate your best player and try to take them out and force everybody else to make plays. Maybe they can't take two guys out, but still, like if if that happens, and, you know, to win playoff games, that third and fourth guy got to play a really big role to what you're trying to do, and you know they got to prove it, but. Um, I don't know. Do you want to have the load management talk? Yeah, look, the load management thing we've discussed to death. I mean, that's the Clippers. Like, yeah, okay, Paul George is injured, but even when they're healthy, one of them's not playing. Like, they've, they've, that's their formula that they're trying to – that's their formula of success to get to the playoffs and be healthy. 
I don't like it. I mean, we've done it to death. Continuity, playing together. They've got a bunch of stars. They've got, you know, good role players. Then all of a sudden, both PG and Kawhi play. It bumps, you know, a Norman Powell or a John Wall. Their role gets bumped down two or three notches. Then you got to, you know, you figure out when do you go and when do you not in that role, right? But when there's only one star next to you, all of a sudden, maybe John Wall was your two option that night. Maybe then it's Reggie Jackson. Maybe then it's this guy or that guy, right? So, um, that's my frustration with it. I don't. I just don't think it's that easy to just turn on in the playoffs. Like I, you got to get there first with some continuity, and they just don't have that. And yeah, for the, from the fans' point of view, like it's, if I'm a Clipper fan, I'm frustrated going to those home games. I want to see the best players play. And 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 look within, you know, context. Sometimes you got to rest a guy every now and then, but they they just blatantly do it. Like it's just it's. And I get it. You know, you want to keep guys. You want, the argument is, do you want them there in game 55 or do you want them in a seven-game series going to the conference finals? Totally get it. You got to get there first for the Clippers. We've seen this story for three or four years, right? Um, and I don't think it's fair to the fans. And I think the NBA's, you know, it's become a baseball-like, right? Where, where your, your good lineup's in one game and the next game it's kind of your your second string or you, you're mixing it up that way. That all, all becomes a, a separate strategy. And I don't think you want to get to that point. The the, the answer to that, so the solution, I guess, is what do you do? Is it less games? Because as soon as you go to 50, 60 games, you're going to have teams playing guys 40. <laughs> like, So I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, end of the day, you can't prove someone's hurt or sick. So it comes down to trusting teams and all that. And yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not not a huge fan of it, Pro. I don't know what, what you think. But you know, if, if a guy's coming off a rehab, like the first year back for Kawhi, you know, um, well, the first month or two after a long rehab session, yeah, okay. But I think the Warriors, I think the Warriors almost have the balance right. Like they, you know, Steph's back now, and I, th- I believe they're playing a back to back. And it's all reports he's he's cleared for unlimited minutes in both the back to backs, right? So instead of saying, oh, we're going to do the next month or two and, and ease him back in, so every team's different. Um, look, the Clippers win at the end of the season; they're geniuses, we're idiots, right? Um, but I just don't see it. I've seen this story before. Yeah, you know, Bogues, it's the world we live in, right? If they if they do what they're doing now and they win it, they're geniuses and everybody's going to do it. If they do what they do and they lose, people are going to lose their jobs, first of all. And second of all, they're going to get ridiculed. If they start playing guys and they, they you know, so God forbid somebody gets hurt, they're going to say, why didn't you rest them? You can never win in this fucking battle. You know that. But um, I do think it does impact your team. Um, I'm all for like having guys step up their roles for a certain amount of time, even if you gotta, you know, you gotta bring them back to reality when these guys come back. But I think to the level in which they're doing it, I do question that. I think you know you just keep on, you know, Kawhi plays like two games and then he's out six, and then up, you know, I think that that's sort of. I, I, I'm no doctor, obviously, but I think that's a little fucked up. You know, you you could do a better job with that, but. You know, it's all, hey, look, like we all always say, if they win the championship, no one's going to give a shit. If you win a, ch- you know, if you don't win a championship, they're going to lambaste you, you know, and then, then every little thing is going to get, you know, get, get to the chopping block. So it's just, it's a sort of the world of sports and the world we live in in general that people are just going to fucking just take shots at you, you know, and they're just going to wait for shit to happen. Oh my God, my team of the week, pro, my team of the week, uh, Denver Nuggets have hung on the strangest thing I've seen. I was just watching this in the background as you were talking. Are you sure about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's 119-116 with 0.2 left. So Orlando could hoist a, a three up um, with 0.2 left to tie it. But uh, Denver, were up, they're up one with 16 seconds left. Orlando ball. Fultz is bringing uh-huh. it up. They 
they they foul him on purpose. Murray does. Now I don't know if Murray thought they had a foul to give, but they foul for they foul him on purpose. He walks mm-hmm. the length of the floor of the clock stop with with however long left. Goes one for two, so it's a tired game. Broken down play. Murray throws it to Jokic to step back three from the top of the key to put him up three. So my team of the week's going to hang on. I've got a good feeling, pro. And and I'm going to ask you this, pro. Point two seconds left. Do you foul here? If you are, do you try to foul? Obviously, with point two, it's a bit harder. Let's say hypothetically there was five seconds left. Uh, would you foul on purpose and put him to the line if you're up three? Well, I'm, to me, it depends on personnel. Like, if it's Luke, now people say, look, you got to foul, you got to foul, you got to foul. Well, that's the example. The Laker game. The Laker game with with Doncic. They're up. Lakers are up three with, what was it, eight seconds left? It's five seconds left? Yeah. Slide out of bounds. Doncic catches it, hits a three, they go to overtime, and they lose that game. If you foul Doncic on the spot, put him to the line for two free throws, you're still up one with the ball, best case scenario, right? Yeah. Like, here's my thing with that. If if it's 95% of the personnel in the NBA, I'm saying don't foul. Like, just play it out. If it's Luka, Booker, Durant, Tatum, a guy like – if I'm facing a guy like that, I'm fouling. I'm fouling. If it's anybody else, like most other teams, I'm like, all right, play it out. You know, because it's going to be tough. Switch everything. And it's going to be tough. I, I know the analytics does tell you foul, right? Um, I've actually – in the D-League, it's funny. We, we had like three straight of those situations where we foul – and we lost all three games because we fucking we, we shit fucked away free throws and all that. But I'm a fan of just playing it out. Don't foul, defend without fouling, switch everything, you know, and just play it out and forcing them to, to make a shot. Except if you're playing Luca fucking Doncic. Like Luca Luca could be down 90 with th- with two and a half minutes left. I'm still fucking holding my breath. Cause that guy could get you back. There aren't many guys that can do that. Like he's one of them. Steph Curry's another one. Um, you know, Durant, there aren't many guys that could just will their way into tough situations and will your team back and make ridiculous shots with pressure situations. I think Luca and Luca Curry and Durant are one, two, and three in the league to me of guys who can do that on a regular basis. And um, in that situation with Doncic, I would have fouled. I would never let him have a chance at it. You know, like I would follow him like while he's still in the on in the huddle and their fucking team in the timeout, I'd follow him then. <laughs> yeah. Because I, you and never want that, that, that was that was a perfect case study for fouling because it was yeah. six or seven. You don't you don't want to do it with twenty seconds left. You don't want to do it with you kinda don't want to do it with a couple of seconds left because most times guys are turning to shoot. So then you got the risk of them shooting three free throws, uh, for those listening. But Doncic caught it at the sideline, had to spin, take two dribbles and hit a three or three dribbles. As soon as he takes that first one, you try to steal it or as soon as he catches it, they're shooting two free throws with five, six seconds left. Um, he makes both. They got to foul you a couple of seconds, goes off the clock and then you're playing the timeout game. I, I'd always kind of, I, I would more, it's timing. If it's around the five or six second mark and you can take a clear foul without them getting f- three free throws, I would almost always do it, even if there wasn't a, a Doncic mm-hmm. out there. Around around that, that has to be within that time range. Otherwise, you play it out. But I've, you've seen too many times. And look, you got to factor in: Is my star in foul trouble? Can we afford to go over time? What are my guys' legs like? Is their guys cramping? Do I have injuries? You know, if if your stars at five fouls, you don't want to go to overtime. So you want to try to risk. All right, let's let's make them make really tough plays to get to overtime. So. It is philosophical between different coaches, but I'm more of a pro. 
in, within um, 10 and under, I generally always foul and put them to the line and then trust my team from the free throw line um, and trust that they might miss one too. Um, any coach, Bogues, that sort of introduced you into that philosophy of fouling versus non-fouling, did you have different coaches that had different philosophies um, that you that you played under in, in your career? Or is it just something that you just said, yeah, fuck that, I'm fouling or, or I'm not fouling? Like, you know, is well, it just I've seen the opposite you- end of it. I've seen the yeah. three point, I've, you know, being the big fella, I'm usually wrestling someone for a rebound as the shot goes up. And I've, I've been stuck under the basket way too many times and seeing the ball go through. Kobe hit one on us in Milwaukee, should have fouled him as he dribbled it up. Um, I think Dirk hit one against, against us in Milwaukee when I was there. So I've, I've, I just think that the, you know, some coaches say, no, play it out. I've got faith in my defense. But, you know, not only that, there's a, you could jump and a ref could call a foul. There's a lot that can go wrong. So I'd almost be like, you know what, especially if they've got one or one or less timeouts left, you only have to go down and knock two free throws down once, come and do it again, and then you're pretty much set, right? So not no specific coach. I think more coaches are probably, I don't know what the ratio would be. I think more coaches are against it than for it. You don't see a lot of coaches do it. In, Euro, in EuroLeague internationally, a lot of like it's it's more for it's I think it's 70 80 20 30 in that in that category they all they all foul and won't let you get the three point shot up um and and the other thing is in Euroleague you can't call a timeout on a live ball so sometimes teams will miss that second free throw on purpose um knowing that you can't go the length of the floor so there's a, there's a lot of disparities but I'm, I'm a fan of it I'll rather take my chances there because there's so many talented players that can hit threes and you know, we just saw it. Just saw it then with Jokic. You know, even though it was a tie game, he hit to step back three. So, a tough one on the buzzer, right? So, um, it's tough. It's it's everyone. Everyone's got a different opinion on it. I'm more mm-hmm. towards fouling, but but only within. You know, like I said, it has to be perfect timing and everything has to align. Um, but it's yeah, it's one of those things. I've seen. I mean, we've both seen the flip side where, where, where teams say, "All right, we're fouling," and then a player fouls. On a live ball, the guy's turning to shoot, you know, and then they call they call three three throws, right? So then you're like, okay, shit, like we shouldn't have fouled, you shouldn't have fouled. So only in the perfect context, away from the basket where they can't trick the official, um, do it. Otherwise, yeah, I think you play it out. Yeah, Bogues, it's um, it's an interesting philosophy either way, you know. But I think like, and I and I think when um, I think also teams got to do a better job across the league when practicing it too. Like, you know, they foul late, they, they, you know, they foul on the shot when they shouldn't. I think it's something that you really got to like practice every day in like almost every practice, just sort of drill it and drill it and drill it because you'd see teams screwing it up at the last possible minute and they should know, they should know like when you're fouling and what situations and how to foul. And I, I don't think it's really worked on enough, to be honest, those special situations, you know. The 97 ATOs are, are definitely practiced every day. You know, the eight plays, new plays they want to put in to make them look like geniuses. But those little things are not worked on enough. Yeah, that was what Scott Skiles was really good when I played for him. He, we spent um, probably the last five or ten minutes of every practice doing one second and under stuff. Um, random shit like, hey, we've got the side out of bounds of 0.7. We've got, they've got the ball with 2.1 and and how we, fa- where we send the ball, how we foul. And we won a game with it. We had a play, I've mentioned this before, probably on the podcast, where we had a, a one second and under sideline play. And it was basically a lob for me where we emptied out a side and I slipped a screen and, and we won a game with it, 0.7. Um, I think we we're, were down one and we got a tip in on the far side of the basket from the sideline. Perfect pass from Marbute. It's on YouTube for those that are interested and just, that was a, a play that was done at the end of practice 
not really at live speed. He just said, hey, give me your mentals now. We're not going live. We're done. This is the last thing. Let's walk through this a few times. Hey, you know, we even did things like where the four and the five would screen for each other and we would yell switch as the offense to try and trick the defense into switching because they might think it's a teammate calling it to, to confuse them a little bit and ended up winning us one game. And if it wins you one game, that's a difference sometimes between the eight seed and the nine seed or you know, a, a division championship. So he did a really good job with that. And that's where for you coaches out there, um, a lot of times you've got athletes that want to go at it at a training and let them go at it and they, they save the last five minutes for like a walkthrough to cap it off, you know, as, you, as, as you're almost done with practice and have a quick talk. If you, take, if you turn those into 20, 30-minute segments, you're going to lose guys very, very quickly. But five minutes at the end of every practice for random one-off plays builds up over the course of a season and that five minutes turns into a couple of hours worth on, on just small, silly little things that can win your game. So... Big pro on that, uh, pro, no pun intended there, but uh, moving on to, to some news. Uh, congratulations to the San Antonio Spurs, by the way, pro, the Alamodome. They had a game there versus the Warriors. They have broken the NBA all-time record crowd. Um, I think it was Atlanta, wasn't it, the last one? Um, si- yeah, 68,323. Now, I saw some of the some of the photos or the viewing vantage points from that arena that was not a whole lot you would have saw if you were up the top, um, but obviously a football stadium. That's a pretty big turnout, man, in a small market of all things in San Antonio, 68,000 people in a basketball game. Folks, was it, it wasn't Golden State, right? It was, it was Atlanta? It was, I, I, okay, it was Atlanta. Folks, did you ever play Oh, they had, the, they, had, they had the record, you mean? They had the record? No, I didn't, I didn't know if they were playing Golden State. I didn't see They played the Golden game, State. Yeah, they played okay. Golden State. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they played Golden State. Folks, have you ever played in, in something in a stadium versus an arena? Have you ever played in one of those? Yeah, we played we played Team USA here in Melbourne um, in the football stadium. They converted that to a, uh, a basketball stadium, and it was interesting. It was because uh, the court was kind of lifted off the ground a little bit. Um, there was floor seats on where the grass would have been, and then people on the outers were the rest of the crowd. So it was it was interesting. It was. Um, yeah, it was, it was windy in there a little bit just because it's a football stadium. You've not had a roof on it. There's still drafts coming under through the car park and the basements and all that. Um, but it was it was really cool, really, really cool. I, I was a huge fan of it. I'm just seeing that many people crowned in for a basketball game. I think 30 or 40,000 people, whatever they got. But it was um, it was unbelievable. So I was a fan of it. Look, it's not something you can do a lot. It's a good one-off. Um, uh, by the way, Pro, the Perth Wildcats had an open roof game last weekend. Um, Melbourne oh, does that a little bit as well at the tennis center. They open the roof. Well, the, the Perth one was good, but the problem is it's it's summer there. It's glaring hot. There were a few people that were like, we got severely sunburnt. And there were also a, a few people that were in the upper that for about half of the game couldn't really see the court because of the sun and glare. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, uh-huh. yeah, so then once the sun kind of chilled out, they said it was a sensation when it cleared up, but for the most part, it wasn't. It's not something you want to do on a weekly basis for your product, but as a one-off gimmick thing, that it's you know commendable that they did that. And it looks, it looks really cool. Like if you're... If you're the guy taking the drone photos or you're a plane flying over the top, sensational. If you're there to watch the game as a purist, probably not the best um, viewing, you know, pleasure you're going to get. But you expect that knowing that, you know, glare, sun, and all that kind of stuff. But they're trying some strange things. That the U.S. the college game that's always on the on the on the what is it, a navy ship or yeah, on an aircraft carrier. Aircraft carrier. So yeah. tried some unique things. But uh, congratulations to the Spurs. Anyway, it's a great sixty-eight thousand people's nothing to sneeze at. So good on them. Uh, Popovich, some great comments. Uh, he was just basically talking about the state of the game and, and, and where things are going. And I think he's grown a little bit frustrated with the way the game's officiated now to protect the offense at all costs, where it's all threes, 
you're three or you're living by the three or you're dying by it. Um, he basically had a pretty funny comment that said, I said before, I'm just hoping the league ends up with a four-pointer or a five-pointer so we can make this a real circus. Then it wouldn't be basketball. It would be just a bunch of crap, bro. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think he's definitely got some merit with that. Um, I'm not a big fan of you know his political speech and talking down to everybody like that, but I do agree with some of the things that he says on a basketball for sure. Um, I think I think it is right. It, the game is attempts to be a circus where it's just jacking up shots, sh- you know, not caring about possessions, not caring about turnovers, and just wanting to jack up. Like you see a guy, you know, coming down on a break when they could just break away for a layup and they pull up for three. I mean, there's some really bonehead ways to to really play the game these days, and. All they'll tell you is, well, three is worth more than two. You can't have that every fucking answer. Three is worth more than two. You got to have some sort of brains in the game where like mid-range shots and two-point shots are okay at times when you could sort of get it on drives and you can get an uncontested, a marginally contested two, you know, versus like taking a contested fucked up three or or 28-foot three because some some jerk off in a fucking you know, MIT costume in, in your analytics department says three is worth more than two. I get that. I get the 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 importance of taking about 35 threes a game or so. But like, if you're just going to be doing that, I think the biggest problem in the game, Bogues, is there's no originality to it anymore. Very few teams like play different styles. You know, everybody's got to be the same. Like, no bigs anymore. You know, everybody's got to be able to switch. You don't throw the, the play through the post. Everything's got to be a three. Um, you know they're abandoning the mid-range shot for the most part, unless you're a superstar. Like those things are, are make the games a little circus-like. That's the good thing about the '80s, '90s, and early 2000s. You had different coaches, different teams that played sort of different styles, and some played up tempo, some played a little slower, some played through the post, some didn't. But um, I do like the originality. I think every young coach says the same bullshit: space, pace you know, downhill and they don't really teach. I think everything's done as like every, it's like something out of the twilight zone. It's just everybody talks the same, coaches the same, plays the same. And I think that the, that the game definitely lacks some originality that makes the game so beautiful. You know what I'm saying? But that's just me. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's spot on. I think it um, it is it is becoming... We hit this a little bit last week, and you know, it might be, sound like two old guys crying over spilled milk, but the, the <sighs> game, the game has changed, and it's, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things that's noticeable to, to basketball purists, and Pop's arguably one of those. So, I think it's just become a little bit of a circus with all the, all the baiting the officials. The officials are um, obviously siding. It's, I think it's ninety to ten towards the offensive player these days. You can't get in a stance and, and be physical and get into guys these days, you know, because it's going to be a foul. It's, it's very push towards high scoring so um and then analytics and data and ai and all that kind of stuff's coming into into basketball now as heavy as it's ever been Uh, i just wonder you know it's a pendulum theory whether whether this swings back i I don't think it's going to um because it employs a shitload of people the first and foremost that has you know branched out nba offices to when you first got involved how many people were in nba front office Including, uh, including, different. like I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking. To how many, how many suits? When, when you got involved, how many suits were there in NBA franchise? Let's talk. Let's talk. I mean, 90s, we, we were the low. We were one of the lowest in the league anyway in Boston. 
So it was literally like Chris Wallace was the GM. This is before Danny Ainge got there. It was Chris Wallace. We had a guy named Leo Papil who got me in. It was me, Ryan McDonough. We're breaking down films and sort of low-level scouts. Ryan ended up being the GM of Phoenix. And that was about it. There was maybe one more. We literally had five in our whole department where the Knicks had like 30. And and now it's – I think it's a contest between how many scouts and front office people or how many assistant coaches behind the bench uh, on, a, on, on an NBA coaching staff because now every – Every staff, it seemed like in, in the front office, is like minimum of eighteen to twenty people. You know, from scouts to personnel directors to GMs to presidents to oh, it's more than that, you know, bro. You're you're you're, yeah. you're the unders there. Like it's yeah. you got behind the bench is one thing. Then you've got analytics, analytics assistant, analytics. Oh yeah, video yeah, analytics, an, video analytics spreadsheet. This guy takes care of this. This guy takes care of that. This guy's running the actual uh, in arena cameras to make sure we've got all the analytics. Like if there's a, there's a lot of people employed with this, so there's an incentive to keep that going. But yeah, my point is, front offices. I think from the '90s, 2000s, even to when I got involved with the Bucks, it wasn't a huge front office to where it is now. I would say comfortably, you know, it's between five to ten x of, of where it was um, in suits. That's including your whole array of scouts, even even strength conditioning teams. You look at we had we had a head trainer, an assistant, and maybe maybe an intern. Now you've got you've got a weight room probably with eight people in it now. Um, cut two or three, yeah. four of them are staff, and then a bunch of interns. Same as your interns that you had rebounding. That was there was one or two of them back in the day. You can get up to ten or fifteen of them now on rotation. So. It's, it employs a lot of people, which is much. a good thing, but you know it is too much. There's too many people in there, and then people wonder how how does how does stuff get leaked from an organization? Well, <laughs> there's, yeah, exactly. there's so many so many people in and out of there on a daily basis, especially in a team like Golden State, that you don't know who's who's coming and going sometimes. So it is interesting. I think Pop, um, you know, definitely agree with with his take on it, and I don't. I just don't think much is going to change in the immediate future. All right, uh, Ennis Cantor, pro. He's uh I don't. This isn't really a laughing matter because it is quite serious. But um, Turkey's put a 500k bounty on his head. Um, and that's not for a, that's not for a 10 day or a basketball contract, bro. That's for it's for his life, um, which is just crazy. I mean, you, you look at uh, the countries we both live in. You know, um, deemed you know free than than uh, the Western world and freer and democracy and all that. Even though at times in the last couple of years that was questionable. But you look at you know what. what what they've just come out and said on a record from basically their president's mouth um, or their, their, their politician's mouth that uh, 500K bounty pro. So, you know, I'm interested to see. He's doubled down on it since and still continuing to comment on it all. And you hope no harm comes to him. I, I, hope, I hope, you know, no one tries something stupid, but you never know some crazy nutters out there. But, uh, yeah, this is pretty, pretty, pretty crazy stuff, bro. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously there are people that sort of speak their mind, and, and Ennis has definitely been one of those guys who spoke his mind about things. I I tend to not be confrontational about things like this, especially government, especially religion, things like that, where people are fanatical about, and especially in those types of countries. It's one thing in the United States where, like, yeah, you can get in a, like a little bit of a Twitter war, you might even get into a fight with a person, but like... You know, I, I think in very rare circumstances, people put bounties on your head. And that's just the one thing. That's the one thing about like just speaking your mind about those types of things all the time that you could put yourself in harm's way. I mean, you never want to see that from anyone, especially somebody who's just sort of speaking their mind. It doesn't matter if they're if, he, if he's right or wrong, like he's just speaking his mind and, and you should have the freedom to be able to do that. 
Um, he is, he does go hard at people and he, you know, I, I haven't really kept up with everything that he says, but I, I, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I was one of the first people to see en- Ennis. Um, so Ennis, uh, Gro- Tim Grover, when I was working for in Chicago, went, uh, Brand Jordan had all these clinics across the country, across the world, you know, especially in Europe, China, I think it's just Europe, actually different European countries. And he came back and he goes, Mike, there's this guy who's like Carlos Boozer that I saw Grover did. It's, it's Ennis Cantor. There was an agent named Max Urkel that was in our gym that represented some uh, Turkish kids. And he had this kid and he comes off the plane and he shows up to play. Couldn't speak a word of English, just came to play. This this agent sort of took him out, extracted him from Turkey where like other agents wanted to rep him, extracted him, made him live, had him live with him. And tried to get him to a prep school in the United States. And here he is, came off, playing against NBA guys, busting their ass. Um, he ended up working out with us every summer, pre-draft. Uh, never really was into the whole politics stuff. Like, talked a little bit. I met his dad. His dad was a doctor. Um, had dinner with him in New York a late night one night um, when Ennis was playing in the Brand Jordan game. And um, got a chance to meet him. And then there was some issues like later on when he started getting in the NBA, started talking about stuff. And then his dad, like they imprisoned the dad and, you know, and then like they tried to put, like confine him in an airport or something like that, the Ennis. And, you know, but then he started to keep on speaking out. Like, I don't know, puts himself in harm's way in the crosshairs in this thing. You know, hopefully there's some... You know, this isn't what this isn't curb your enthusiasm with the Fatwire episode. This is some real yeah. shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, think he's. Is, I don't know if he has a family or young kids. I don't think he does. Um, I don't think he that does. Would definitely, thankfully, that would be definitely change things. You know, um, when you have kids and stuff, that it's a whole different realm. But yeah, he's he's gonna have security traveling with him. I assume for the rest of his life. Um, judging upon that, unless unless you know something else happens, but. The thing with these countries is you see a lot of these these people in politics in some of these nations, They even when they leave, they can still still be ramifications once they're gone from office too. So I don't think that's an easy fix, but um, pretty crazy. And, and all the people putting out memes about uh, the 500K bounty, that NSC's that overpaid again and all that kind of stuff. It's We, we see you out there, memesters, but be a, be a, be a bit cautious. It's, it's on the man's life. So uh, have, have a little bit of a giggle, but... Uh, don't take it too far. So that was um, that was interesting. And you, you've got a problem with the dress code, Pro, that you wanted to address for our listeners, the NBA dress code. Bogues, like, I keep watching these games, and it, it just keeps on getting more and more, like, it's unbelievable. It's something out of a fucking Zoolander movie. Like, the stuff that's being worn on the bench, hoodies with, like, you know, guys with, like, hoodies and sunglasses on, outlandish outfits, like, I understand, like, you want to be comfortable. And um, I, I was never a big fan of wearing the suits on the bench, uh, like players if they're not out. Like, I think that, look, like, we all look, we all get gear, right? When we're with NBA teams, they give you about literally three grand worth of gear, like five sweatsuits, like 20 T-shirts, socks, da-da-da-da-da. Like, why not issue it where they have to wear team-issued stuff? There's plenty of stuff to wear. Like, you're not confining them to anything. And if they want to wear outlandish stuff to, like, the arena, fine. But, like, on the bench, like, look like you're engaged a little bit. When you are when you get, like, guys with hats on backwards and sunglasses and, you know, like, hoodies on, 
you know, I, I could see if you're in the game and you want to keep your head warm and you put a hoodie on. I get that, even though I'm not a huge fan of it, but I get it. But there's like no respect for the dress code anymore. And you should be able to wear some team issues stuff. I mean, you got plenty of things, you know, but like everybody's just different. I, I know, quote unquote, they want to express themselves and all this bullshit, but like, I think you should just wear some team-issued stuff. I and mean, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, you're a player. Well, so coaches you know. well, coaches can now wear team-issued sweats, I believe, to coach, yeah. which is – I think yeah, that's fair enough if you want to do that. Some coaches still like to dress up and make it professional. Look, I, I came in the league the first year of the hardcore dress code by David Stern. So he went from like, you know, we're not wearing jerseys and wife beaters to the ring anymore. It's going to be business casual. And their business casual definition was harder than most businesses. Like it was – you couldn't really wear jeans and and a, and a kind of a fitted top. They didn't even allow that. They they were that hardcore. It had to be a collared shirt and blah blah blah. So that was that was too extreme in my opinion. I thought shit, this is crazy. Like you know, basically wear a suit and dress shoes and pack a whole other bag. Um, so I didn't like that, and I think that was David Stern's extreme. I think Adam Silver's on the opposite. Adam Silver, literally, you could wear, you know, whatever you want. You you come in army fatigues with your face painted with a sombrero and a poncho if you wanted to, right? Like it's. It's just gotten out of control. Coming into the arena, I get it. Some guys are fashionistas. They like to walk on runways. That's their runway. They might get paid to promote a certain brand. I know Westbrook has his own clothing line. Get all that. I agree with you, though. On the bench, you know, it's a team game. Some of the stuff guys are wearing on the bench is just like I've seen guys do full interviews in hoodies. Um, and I get to, I get it's a cultural thing. I get I get it's an NBA thing. But uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of, of that. I think you should try to at least – you know be somewhat one with the team and i think sweats you know as long as you say all right just team issued sweats um and there's like you said you get seven or eight different color combinations of sweats they give you so take your pick but i know with like the national team and all that we try to if you're on the bench you're expected to at least wear the team polo and jeans or team polo and sweats right like so we want to be uniform um, the other reason why we do that overseas is in case, you know, from from like junior level, in case one of us gets lost, <laughs> in, you know, what you look like, right? If you're walking amongst 15, 20, 30 other teams, that's the reason they do it internationally is you see your colors and you can find your team, especially at a young age. But yeah, I like the uniformity of it. I, I think it's just gotten out of control uh, with some of the stuff that's being worn. And it's it's almost one up. Like I'm going to I'm gonna wear something way more extreme than that guy next game. Oh, I'm gonna, the camera's going to be on me. And it's like, I get I get all that. But I think the NBA needs to wind it back. Don't go David Stern levels. Adam Silver, where it's like, yeah, you guys run the show. Don't like that neither. I think in the middle. Just just have a bit of professionalism where, you know, people are coming to watch um, professional basketball players. And and um, I think that's a, definitely something that they should do. I remember um, when I was with the Celtics, and, and again, it was really loose. Guys wearing baggy jeans and stuff, you know, jerseys on, on uh, you know, on, uh, on the bench when they weren't playing. Uh, we had this guy named Joe Forte that we drafted, um, you know, in the Tony Parker draft. We drafted this idiot, and he, you know, North Carolina, uh, one of the best players in the ACC. And we were playing the Sixers in the playoffs, and this fucking guy wasn't active. That was when, like, you couldn't, you, you had to activate only a certain amount of players. And he was inactive, so he had to wear dress clothes. This fucker, we were wearing, we were, we were playing the Sixers in the playoffs. This fucking guy wore a Dr. J jersey on on the bench, like you know, with the shirt underneath, but like had a Dr. J Sixers jerseys as we're playing the fucking Sixers in the fucking in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, like you know, again, I think I understand why 
being too harsh on players. It's a player's league, so you got to keep them happy to a certain extent. But you also got to look professional. You got to be professional. Like, you know, I mean, the, I think the most professional guy I've ever been around with that stuff might have been Harrison Barnes. Like, Harrison, it didn't matter. Like, I, I, I hate dressing up anyway, like, especially on the flights. And this fucker had, like, this fucking guy had, like, like one of those, like, European cut suits, like, Three-piece, like, four-piece. Yeah, on the, on the plane. I mean, this guy was dressed to the nines. He was doctor professionalism. And I apologize for calling him a fucker because he is a good friend of mine. But, like, which I probably should call him a fucker anyway. Anybody who's a close friend of mine, I'd probably call him that. But, like, that I couldn't believe because he was professional 24-7 with that stuff. But I, I wouldn't go that extreme with players. I don't think you should be able to do that. I think you should be comfortable. And I think just wearing, like, team sweats is, uh, is a big thing. But now it's just, like, letting them do anything they want, like – I get it's a player's league and you got to make them happy, but you got to meet in the middle with it. I think team issued sweats is fine. You know, they wear them all the time. They wear them, you know, they wear them to the practice facility. They wear them in, in you know, doing whatever, whatever. Like they've got a million types of cuts that they could have. Like I think that that that's an easy rule that they should do just because it's getting a little outlandish and embarrassing. And, you know, you you got to have some professionalism with it, sort of meet in the middle, make the players comfortable, look a little professional. You know, I think there's some ways we can do that. And I think just wearing team issue sweats would be good. Totally agree. All right, Aussie watch. Uh, real quick, Josh Green still out hurt. Hasn't hasn't made a comeback yet. Jack White, 5.2 rebounds in a blowout win versus Phoenix. His first minutes back from reasonable minutes since he came back from the G League. Joe Ingles slowly playing into form pro. He's at uh, He had a good week, 9.6 points, 2.6 rebounds, 4.6 assists off the bench with 7 for 18 from three. He's slowly closing into his steady numbers of old um, that he's consistently put up in Utah, um, slowly finding his legs and, and feeling a little bit better. Milwaukee's still a little bit up and down. Uh, a few injuries there, Giannis in and out with an issue. Matisse still in the rotation, uh, 10 to 15 a game, minutes a game, but not very productive on the stat sheet. Two points a night with 1.6 rebounds and one steal in the last week. Dyson Daniels had a, a very good week. Six points, five rebounds, 2.6 assists per game. Jock Landale, 6.6 uh, 6 points, 4.6 rebounds and two assists per game. Uh, they're all banged up. They're in all sorts. Phoenix, um, one of the contenders for team of the, of the week, uh, as in bad team of the week. Um, but we didn't give it to them, but they're, they're struggling. Delhi's found some garbage minutes the last couple of weeks, which has been good to 2.6 points and one assist over the last week. Ben Simmons with a very weird line. Uh, he only played one game over the last week. He had uh, zero points, 13 assists, and nine rebounds with two steals. Uh, so that was an interesting line. Didn't score the ball. Paddy, first minute since January 2nd uh, in, a, in a loss to OKC. He had six points and a rebound. So cracked the rotation a little bit there, but still pretty much out of the rotation when they are healthy. Katie obviously out hurt there. And our now fifth-time winner of Australian Player of the Week. Pretty, he's pretty much got it sewn up. Josh Giddy, I think has had his the best week of his career, bro, uh, statistically. He has, I think, both for scoring and his overall line. This is what he was over this week. 22.5 points, 9.5 rebounds, 8.25 assists per game, bro, if you don't mind. A, a phenomenal week for Josh Giddy. Continues to get better. I'm really excited about his growth. And as I said, five-time Rogue Bogues Australian Player of the Week. So any of those stand out for you besides Josh, bro? No, I mean the Giddy thing. Obviously, he's he's playing his ass off. I think he's 
in some ways he could be the most valuable player on that team, even though, you know, SGA's so good dominating stat wise, but that and with his passing and uh, an ability to to just make the thing easy for everybody with his size and and sort of vision and, and basketball IQ, he's he's a special player in in so no, I, I mean, you know, Wandale, obviously Wandale, um, I, I, you know, I keep an eye on and, you know, he did well. He's sort of that, that situation's a shit show as it is. So, you know, it's hard, hard to get consistent minutes doing anything there. But uh, the Giddy, you know, obviously the Giddy stats were great. No, I, I didn't even, I didn't even see Patty played. I, I didn't even notice. I haven't watched Brooklyn in a while. So, um, you know, it's cool, it's cool to get, you know, to see him get some minutes. Um Thibault's actually playing better, like you said. You know, it's funny. Like he's made a he's made some corner threes and spot up threes. He's he's getting better. I, I think that he's you know they just got to find consistent minutes, and I think that's the hardest part in the NBA to, to to do is just to find those consistent minutes when you haven't really made it yet. And I think that he's definitely showing the ability to like you know to make a shot once in a while. It's getting better. It's not anywhere near where. It should be to be a consistent NBA player, like shooting the ball. But you know, I think he's in the low 30s right now shooting it. So I think that's definitely a you know, um, I think that's definitely some progress there. So it's good, it's good to see him. Hopefully, they could just keep playing him 12, 15 minutes, and then you know, sort of just keep him at that 14, 15 minute mark. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, he's he's, he's definitely certified in the rotation now, which is good. As start of the season, he was, you know, getting random three, four minute nights. So he's solidified. I think he'll be available come a playoff series, especially if they come up against the, you know, they need some help against the Giannis or they need a bit more length out there. So um, potentially New York, you know, you could get a stint on Brunson or Randall at times. He can guard one through five. So um, yeah, that's all good with the Aussie watch NBL Australia. Just as I said, the top three looks set, or the top two at least. New Zealand has plummeted. Um, they've had a bad weekend. They've lost a, a few games on the trot. They've fallen down to third. Um, they're 13 and nine, only one game above Tasmania in fourth now, 13 and 10. Cairns keep rolling. So Cairns and the Sydney Kings both on six game win streaks as we speak. Cairns are just doing a phenomenal job. They're, um, you know, they're just, they, they continue to win games. Keanu Pinda, their MVP candidate, has been out the last what, probably two or three weeks and they're still winning games. So they must be commended with the way they've played and they're, they're probably, you know, another couple of games, a couple of wins off from solidifying, uh, you know, the second spot, if not the first spot, depending on how Sydney goes. And, and those first two spots pro are important because you go straight through three to six going to a plane. So if you're first or second, you're straight to the, the top four of the, of the uh, final series and the semifinals and then three to six play it off to, to get in there. So everything else has kind of remained the same. New Zealand in third, Tassie in four. Perth have surged a little bit and got to fifth. Southeast Melbourne have fallen to sixth. Melbourne are surging as well. They've, they're 13 and 12. If they win out, they have a chance. Adelaide, very disappointing season for them so far. Still in the mix, but um, uh, you know, a couple of couple, probably one or one or two more losses away from not making it with what is probably arguably the, one of the highest spending rosters in the league and one of the most talented on paper. Um, Ian Clark, of course, joining them a couple of weeks ago. But look, I do want to discuss the Brisbane Bullets Pro. They um, I don't like kicking teams when I'm down, uh, when, when when they're down, and they're, they're down. Um, I went to the, the game in Brisbane, actually, last weekend. I'm in Melbourne now, but I went to, to the game in Brisbane. I was in Queensland, so I went up to that game and watched the Sydney Kings play. And um, I must say, like... They're, they're bad, pro. Their their record is five and seventeen, and that's inexcusable. We'll get into that a little bit later. But their fans, man, they're they're awesome. Um, 
they, they fit a capacity of 5,000, but they keep turning up. They, they, the Brisbane Bullets are putting up horrend, a horrendous product on the court, um, whether you like it or not, it's the honest truth. They lost to the Sydney Kings by 49 points. At that game I was at, uh, franchise record, NBL record, I believe. Um, and just just not looking good, uh, but the fans show up. They keep coming. Um, great environment. Um, it's a nice little arena there they have in Nissan Arena. Um, I actually took my wife and kids up there and we, we, we thanked the Brisbane Bullets for their hospitality and looking after us. And my, my wife even said, I went to the locker room after the game, so my wife went to the car with the kids and she said, like, people were leaving the game smiling. Their team lost by 49, they just love basketball. <laughs> they were like, this is, a, you, know, you know, so it was kind of interesting to see. So, I mean, a team with Tyler Johnson, Nathan Sobey and Aaron Baines has no excuse being 5 and 17. Now, you know, the ownership... Uh, thing is the ownership there's a debacle there the ownership's not based in Australia he's not around much um, there was an issue with the GM taking over as coach then going back to the GM spot then the CEO you know the CEO is probably the, the point of contact for the owner like it's just a bit of a shambles there it's not going well um, but some needs to be put on Aaron Baines and Nathan Sobey and, and Tyler Johnson. You know, they're, they're, they're three big names in the NBL. Um, Aaron Baines, the highest paid player, he, you know, he needs to lead that team better and, and, and get them some more wins. But they're, they're, their season's all well and truly over. And it's just, I don't know what the fix is, pro, what the solution is. I think the ownership group definitely needs to be held to account. I believe the ownership group is is, is a gentleman over in the, uh, in the US named Jason Levy, and I don't know him too much. They're trying to make some changes. They've hired some more advisors. I think the NBL still might have a stake in that club. I'm not sure. I believe they do. But um, my, my question is, how long are the fans going to keep coming with this product? You know, they're, they're, they're loving it right now, and they're 5 and 17 and not putting up effort. Uh, but they continue to come. So I'll give a shout out to Brisbane Bullet fans. You guys are awesome. Um, continuing to support your team through everything they're going through and, and probably are they deserved of that support to this extent right now at this point of the season with the product they're lopping up? That's for people to be uh, to argue. I, I would say it's it's definitely going downhill. It's definitely going towards no because you got you got to at least put some effort and um, that's just disappointing to see. And that's where I credit the Illawarra Hawks. The Illawarra Hawks are below them pro at 2-21. and 21. Horror season. Uh, injuries like like the black cat type thing, walking under ladders. They, they've had like injury after injury to main starters imports, but they're two and twenty one. But if you watch them play, bar maybe one or two nights this season, they they don't look like a team that's two and twenty one. They they still battle. Their coach hasn't playing hard. Um, they probably should have been in the mix to beat the Sydney Kings yesterday. Uh, we snuck away with a five point win. We were up 13 or 14 with five minutes left. They came roaring back and took the lead by one with a minute left. And they just, they play hard. That's a that's an example of a team that's not performing well, not record-wise, but they're still giving effort and they're still playing for each other. Brisbane, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. They should be, you know, held to account for their effort. I don't care if the coach isn't qualified who they have now or, or all these distractions with our GM and our and our, you know, ownership and all that kind of stuff. Um, they got to they get together and it's just disappointing. So just a shout out to Illawarra that with their horror season, I commend them for putting putting up that effort. And, and I think, um, you know, when you suck in, in, in pro sports, pro, it's the hardest thing to get up and go to work. When you're, when you're 5 and 17 like the Bullets or 2 and 21, <laughs> you're basically playing spoiler. You, that's all you can get. But these guys are playing for contracts. They're playing for next season too. They're playing for... 
I think the Bullets only have two contracted players next season, so they've got a lot to evaluate. I think that's Baines and Sobey, the rest are free agents, so they've got a lot to get through as well. But um, Brisbane, lift your game. Uh, your players should be held just as accountable. I know the distractions with ownership isn't great, but that's that's that. And then Perth, obviously, looking looking better. Uh, they, they signed Corey Webster's brother, Ty Webster, who came from uh, – he was playing overseas in Europe. They've got a really stacked starting lineup now, and they're looking much better. They've got a big homestand coming pro, so – that is the NBL wrap at the moment. We've got little over a couple of weeks left till the final, till till a fever break and the final start. Both going back to like the the teams that you mentioned that weren't doing very well. Like your your experience in the NBL, when teams are that bad, is it because they're low budget and they don't spend the money? Is it because they pick the wrong players? Um, combination of players, coach. Is there is there a common theme, or is it just sort of different circumstances for different teams? Oh, it's cyclical. Look, I mean, every team's going to have – Sydney's eventually going to have a year that doesn't go to plan, right? Whether sure. it's next season or 10 seasons, we're, we're going to have that. The, the 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 challenge is, just like the NBA is, make sure that season doesn't turn into five or ten, right? You know, you're going to have a down yeah. year? Cool. Rebuild, restructure, learn from your mistakes. I think, um, you know, Illawarra's, you know, it's, it's no secret they're a lower-budget team. Uh, they're always budget-strong. They play in a smaller market. Brisbane was supposed to be a low-budget team coming into this season, and I know this because, you know, we have a former assistant coach was there um, as the head coach and then he got fired um, and then all of a sudden we're low budget, we don't have a lot of money, but then all of a sudden Tyler Johnson and Aaron Baines were signed. Um, big money, <laughs> right? So they found money from somewhere. So they've spent it to, to try and win and it hasn't worked. And it's in this league, as Adelaide see now, to just go out and buy the best imports from the season before and put them on a, on a roster, it doesn't work. You, you have to have some sort of continuity, some culture, some you know togetherness, um, sprinkle in some talent, um, and, and it still might not go perfectly. And I think for me, and I'm kind of you know this is might be harsh to Brisbane. I think your owner needs to be on the ground. That's that's my opinion. You need to be in the country at least at a minimum. Um, I'm not a majority owner in Sydney. I'm a minority owner, but our majority owner is on the ground in Sydney. I fly to Sydney probably monthly. Um, Luke Longley flies to Sydney monthly as part of the ownership group now. Uh, the Denhomes are, are living in Sydney permanently. you got to be there because shit, it's a fan. It's a long flight from the US and you can only do so much via Zoom. You need to be there to see it with your own eyes. So I think the issue that you know Brisbane might have is you're getting reports from a coach, from a GM, from a CEO. And as a G- as an owner overseas, you're kind of like, okay, this guy said this, then this guy said this, which one's true, how do I know? I want to be there and see it. And I think the, the recipe for success is your ownership, you got to be there. You got to rock up to training randomly. You know, you rock up to a training session randomly. Don't tell anyone, you just show up. As an owner, surprise. <laughs> you know, that's when you see what, what's really going on. Guys showing up on time. Is everything professional? Are our trainers here early? Are the bottles filled? Uh, you know, is the weight room clean? Is, you know, are the guys ready to go? Blah, 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 right? And, and I think that's what probably Brisbane's missing. You need that owner, that owner on the ground more than he currently is. And look, he's, by all reports, he's the, he's the owner of DC United, the soccer club over there in the US in the MLS. He's also owner of Swansea City, which is, I don't know what division they're in, first or second division in, in, in England. So he's got a lot going on. He's obviously, you know, heavily incentivized to own some teams around the world, which is great. You want that. But I think he's definitely going to have to spend more time here to, to make sure he knows he's getting what he pays for. So I think that's the, the be all and end all, in my opinion, bro. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm always interested, Bogues, like, and seeing some teams and, and and why they do what they do. Now I know in Europe, like there are some really low budget teams that don't have the money, and they really end up like they just don't they they don't bring in talent. Some teams in Europe, they just don't even bring in foreign players. They just bring in you know they just they pay their local people very low money, and and they're just okay with it. And 
Um, maybe they'll sell off some of their young players here and there or, or what have you. I, I just I don't have a lot of experience in in, in Australia and. I just thought, yeah, I've heard stories like I've worked with Australian coaches before that worked in that league, and they tell me like, hey, some teams just don't like to spend money, you know, especially the lower end teams, and sometimes they just like they don't take the right guys, and just because they want to hold out with money, and it just ends up being a situation. So it's just interesting to see different landscapes in different countries and why teams sometimes don't, you know, that continuously underachieve. And it could be bad ownership. It could be bad sponsorship. It just could be, you know, uh, unqualified GMs or people who pick players. So, yeah, I just want to see your your sort of take on things on that. And and just for context, this isn't a NBL isn't a league like teams in Europe where Barcelona's got a ten million dollar salary um, for their roster and um, spend, and and there's teams that have a two million dollar. It's pretty close, um, I would say. So last season, I'm not going to mention the, the team names, but the lowest spend for a team was was one point three six for a for a salary spend. The highest spend was two, just a little over two million, um, and that were the extremes. Generally, most teams are sitting. The average, I would say, is you're one five one six um, for 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 a salary spend. So. Um, it's pretty close. It's generally with every team's within ten or fifteen percent of each other, if that makes sense, bar the two disparities on either end. Um, and yeah, it's not one of those people think that it's one of these things where you look at the NBL. It's like, oh, that team's spending two or three million, and that team's spending one point five. It, it's not. It's not double. It's not double. It's, it's really. It is pretty close with within. Um, but you know that's just the reality of pro sport. Biggest biggest cities, like I can speak for the Sydney Kings. Yes. We probably have a little bit more to spend, but our, our bills are much higher. We have a, we have an arena that, that can seat eighteen thousand. Those bills are higher than an arena that can seat four. So there is, you know, you got to take that into context as well. We got to get more people through the door just to break even compared to a small market team. Yes, a small market team can't get as much sponsors, but those sponsors aren't necessarily just going to a to a to our roster, right? We've still got, we've got a lot of bills to pay just to turn the lights on in those big ass arenas. So it is a mix there, but. Um, and the example I would give, pro, say you own a team over here, pro. Um, you own you own the, the the you know the pro dunkers, right? And um, I'm the GM, and I call you and I say, man, this head coach is terrible. This CEO doesn't know what he's doing. We need to make a change. And then the CEO calls you and says, oh, the coach is all right, but the G- the GM's a bit of an idiot. And then the coach calls you and says, both these guys don't get along. Like, right. and you're living in Dallas. What, what do you do? You know, like it's like okay, uh, shit. Like I tr- trust one of you more, but then I hear this from that, that, that's that's what I think is probably going on in Brisbane, if I had to guess. And you just got to get some feet on the ground and see it for yourself. You might need to bunker up and you know be out here for two or three months and just really see, observe with yourself. I mean, it's your money at the end of the day. You make sure that you know things are to your liking and and you build trust with all those people. You go out to eat, you go to lunch, you go to dinner, you spend some time with them and then you figure out who you trust more, who you don't and then if you have to make changes it's much easier whereas if you're taking other people's advice remotely from another country pro there's biases there, right? Like people are going to protect their own their own turf. Like, you know, if you're the, that's how industry works in the NBA. If if you're if you're a GM and the team's not performing, you're going to blame the coach. He can't coach for shit. I put a great roster together. The coach is going to say this GM brought me some some terrible players. This is, I can't coach these guys, you know. So that's that's kind of the biggest challenge with with owners that don't don't live kind of you know where where that team's owned. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think if you're going to own a team, like back in the day, like in the nineties, eighties, nineties, early two thousands, a lot of the owners, because like the whole internet thing didn't hit yet. The uh, um, 
venture capitalists wasn't as popular where you have a lot of these younger owners that take over. A lot of the owners are older people, old banking money, old money in general, oil money. You know, some of them just really didn't come around the team unless they were deep in the playoffs. You might see them twice a year. But like in most of these teams now, like um, I think ownership is around a lot. They like being, they like being in the, you know, they like being sort of in the forefront. I'll take it for example, right? Um, the Celtics. So the Boston Celtics were bought for $360 million, um, from like a, the old owner. When I was there, that's how I got the job. The new ownership came over. Team's worth like $3 billion now. They got to like, they got to meet um, Prince Harry and his wife, like came over and... Like, that's a big thing now. Like, these owners are always around. They, they like being in the limelight. They like taking their picture with famous people. They like being big shots. They like, you know, it's a free publicity for them. You know, and you could run a PR firm because, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these like, media people, they interview the owners before the games. You see Cuban and a lot of these other people. They could talk about whatever they want to talk about and get whatever message they want out there. Like, it's a big thing now. And owners are always around. I think in today's day and age, I, I don't think you could afford to like be an absentee owner. I think you've got to be there uh, on a regular basis. You know, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm with your sentiment. You've got to be there. You've got to be in the building. You've got to like get a feeling for what your team's doing, what the people are like. If you're going to have to make a, a, a change or a switch with not only a player, but definitely of like a front office or a staff member, you got to be there. You can't just take people's word for it. And I think that the day and age of like absentee ownership um, on almost any league in the, in the world is sort of out the window. I think you've got to be there. So that's just my sort of sentiment towards that. Yeah. And then on top of that, the old school NBA, NBA owners were eating dinner at four o'clock and they were in bed by 6.30 PM. You know, these, <laughs> a lot of these yeah, old money guys who haven't, the early bird dinner, the early bird special at Denny's Diner, and, and they were asleep by six thirty. So no offense to them, they were, they were old. You know, a lot of owners back in the day, you know, 70, 80, 90 years old. So we're seeing more of the Cuban esque type owners that are, you know, Obama that are passionate, forties, fifties, even thirties at times, and they're, they're on the sideline and they're active and they're really engaged in the business, which is great, great for the NBA and great for teams. So um, we'll watch that space. But I hope, look, I hope Brisbane gets better. They got a beautiful fan base there, and um, you know, like I said, you, you bring back a guy like Aaron Baines, albeit he was hurt. The whole last season, um, they should be better than they are. They definitely they're not a five and seventeen team on paper. They they should be at least in the mix for a playing game, in my opinion. Uh, Double Double meets social media. Double is betting meets social media. Excuse me. On Double, you can follow your friends and mates, stalk the experts or trending tipsters, scroll through trending bets and copy them all in one click. Get alerts when your mates and expert tipsers place bear time on there. Of course, yours truly, Andrew Bogut, all one word. Do some tips from time to time. So follow those for some NBA ones. Got a few right last month. So keep following me. Go on, download the app at the App Store. Dabble, all one word. Dabble socially and you must gamble responsibly. All right, stats useful or useless. Probably not going to get too much into these because I've got a shitload of them. It is a big week for some stats. First off, I'm going to give you an all-rhyme lineup, Pro. I want to, let me know what you think about this all-rhyme lineup. Um, sure. Chris Paul. So we've got Chris Paul, John Wall, LaMelo Ball, Lonzo Ball, and Taco Fall. <laughs> Useful or useless? <laughs> does, it count, does it count that Taco Fall's in China right now? 
I know, but this was this was a using any name, any names at the time. I've I've, I've sat on this for about a month before he went. Absolutely, so, uh, you, hey, Bogues, absolutely useful to me. Absolutely, I want to see them all in a lineup. Ball to wall to ball to ball to ball to fall. Yeah, okay. there should be but a rhyming all star game in, in the summertime. <laughs> like, I think they should be in one, and I think you need like an international um, rhyming team for sure. Yeah, be pretty tough, but uh, that was just a silly one. All right, so Brooklyn has a re- best record in the NBA since Vaughn took over. Pro useful, useless. That, oh, I'm sorry, Brooklyn has the best record. What? In the NBA since Jock Vaughn took over. So since yeah. Jock Vaughn officially took over the Brooklyn yeah. Nets, they have the best record in the NBA. Useful. From that time. I, I, got, I got to say useful, Bogues. I think that, you know, I mean, look, they were, I mean, we, yeah, they had some issues for sure, but like we thought they were going in the tank. At least I did. And I, I didn't think they were going to rebound from this. And um, Look, is it Jacques Vaughn? Is it the fact that Kyrie finally just said, you know what, I'm going to stop fucking around, and everybody just started saying, all right, let's do it, and we got you know, we got this going? Um, I don't know. I don't know the whole thing, but I'm going to say that it's definitely useful. I think he definitely had some type of impact on this, and I think that um, he's a big reason for it. I, I'm a big Steve Nash fan. Uh, you know, I don't care about his TikTok game or not. I thought that... You know, I thought he was good. I thought he spoke his mind. I, again, you know, Bogues, it's it's hard to really figure on a coach, GM, player if you're not in the building. I mean, we could read media all, all we want, read social media, um, get all these reports. But unless we're in the building, we don't know. I'm sure there's like people that you played with or coached for, people had an idea about, you know, in the media in the public, but you're like, wait a minute, that's fucking nowhere further from the truth. You know, I'm with them every day. Um, I know I went wide on this whole thing, but I'm just saying like, with you don't know, but I, I definitely say it's useful for sure. I think that he definitely had impact on their, on, on their, you know, resurgence. Yeah, I agree. I think it's useful. Uh, he's done, he's done a great job. I mean, Steve Nash, whether he was hard done by or not, couldn't get those guys firing and, and playing together and, and Vaughn has come in and done that. So um, definitely useful and, and kind of, you know, what could have been if he started the, the season that way. You know, maybe he was a guy getting fired and the next assistant was the new breath of fresh air. So who knows? Here's a good one. Uh, or I think it's a kind of a strange one that you don't hear much. But um, Sabonis from uh, the Sacramento Kings has completed the most handoffs in the NBA pro. Um, so a handoff for those not familiar is when you dribble to your teammate on the three-point line, you hand the ball off to them, they come off. So it's almost like a ball screen, but it's a little bit different. Not only that, he has 200 more than the next guy in the league. Do you know who that would be? Who would be number two? Christian Wood. Christian Wood? What the hell? He's joking. a screen roller. Get, get out of my way. <laughs> no, no. Um, Jokic. Jokic is number two. Uh, Jokic is number two. And uh, th- obviously Sabonis completing the most handoffs would mean a teammate of his would be in the running to have received the most handoffs in the NBA. Who would you guess that would be, Pro? I'm going to go Harrison Barnes. No, it's uh, Kevin Herter, funnily enough. Ah, okay. So, yeah, kind of a weird stat, but I thought it was kind of, you know, useful to, to know who, who, who's got the best, you know, who's got an influx of handoff game, and that seems to be Sabonis by more than 200, useful or useless. Okay, before the whole 200, I was going to say that was as useful as me eating a salad tomorrow. But yep. now that it's 200 more, 
I think that's a useful stat. I think that's pretty fucking amazing. Like, if you said, like, he led it and I looked it up and he was, like, 50 over the next guy, I would say, eh, who gives a fuck, right? So but what? 200, yeah. that's, that's pretty useful, man. That's pretty useful. Yeah, I agree. I think it's useful. Just a nice quirky stat that I that I came across. And, and Jokic is no no slouch at handoffs. I mean, his his whole game is based on the split game and causing problems with his passing. So I saw that. I was like, holy shit! And Sabonis, I think, is in the running for an All Star berth this season. He should make that yeah. team. He's having a hell of a season. And start handing off to Harrison Barnes fucking more because he's on my fantasy team and I need some fucking help. So stop being a selfish <laughs> prick and start calling plays. For he's Harrison playing better. Barnes. His numbers are his numbers yeah. are surging month on month though at least. So towards the tail end, um, he's doing pretty him, well. I, Harrison, I, I, I pick him up every year. He's been on my team a good seven straight years. And uh, he, he said, I said to him, I texted him the other night. I said, hey, good game. And he won me the week last week. He says, "Oh, thank you." And I, I texted him. Uh, I screenshotted him the uh, like his stat line and me winning that week. And I said, "No, thank you. Keep it up, you asshole, or you're gonna be fucking cut." But uh, yeah, no, I'm glad. But start handing off to fucking HB a little bit more, man. I need some help. Yeah, he's definitely doing better than he had a slow start, but he's definitely balling now. Um, <laughs> so use, useful on that one. Next one. Only four teams pro in the whole of the NBA. And it was three as of uh, three or four days ago, but uh, Denver climbed in there with a win against the Clippers. That would have been them. That would have been only three teams in the whole league, but it's four teams in the whole league only to have winning records this season. So four teams have winning records on the road this season, pro. Um, and they basically are all on the top. I'll read through them. The Denver Nuggets are in there, um, road winning record of 11 and 10. Now, uh, yeah, 11 and 10. Memphis Grizzlies at 11 and 10. That's it in the West. And out east, we have Boston at 15 and 7 and Brooklyn at 14 and 8. So as close as a year as we had, but to have only four teams winning records, pro useful, useless. Folks, I think that's useful. I mean, you know, look, if you want to be a good team in this league, you've got to be able to – I'm not saying you should be 70% of wins on the road, but you got to win on the road. you got to be close to 500, if not a little bit over. Um, I, I don't – yeah, I don't understand that. That's a little bit of an anomaly to me, seeing that there's only like four teams that win in teams uh, record in the road. Like we see Golden State, who's so good at home. I know there's definitely a difference. There's a different energy. There's a different preparation. There's a different everything to playing on the road in, in the NBA. But um, the whole discrepancy of only four teams winning on the road. I could say, I, obviously not everybody can win on the road or have winning records, but like you would think six or seven teams would at least would be having some winning road records, even if it's like, you know, I don't know, even if it's like 11 and 10 right now at home on the road, but like you would think that they would, they would do that, but it's, it, it's the, there's this, you know, discrepancies of like, you know, some of these teams are, are like really good home records and, really bad road records it's pretty you know head scratching for sure what do you think both yeah it's it's really head scratching like that's usually you have at least seven or eight maybe maybe not you know nine ten sometimes that are at least 500 look there is a lot of teams that are there's a few teams that are just below 500 on the road but something different we, we spoke about it off here i think i'm putting it down to this so that the, the league's changed the, the way the traveling's done so teams will now fly into a city and, and knock out those two games so like let's say Dallas, for example, is in Portland again tonight. They went, they played at Portland two nights. So you fly into Portland, you'll stay there three or four days and play that same team twice. I think it's hard to win both those games as a home team. Um, uh, and I think it's hard to win both those games as the away team. So 
because you know it's, it's it's I guess it's somewhat easy to defend home court if you've got two in a row at home, but you might take that second one for granted sometimes, or vice versa. You might be the road team. It's like oh, it's two road games. We'll get them again at home. I don't know what psychology is, but uh, that's the only thing that's really changed this season. Is you, you, you kind of there's no more real ho- traditional home and homes where we play you at your place, you come straight back to ours. You're knocking out both games now, so that's the one thing that's changed. I don't know if that's a huge factor, um, but there are some wild, wild swings. You know, you look at. Um, Golden State Warriors are one of them. You know they're they're seventeen and five at home and they're four and seventeen away. I mean that's that's bipolar realm. Um, four and seventeen is almost the worst in the league. You know the, the, no one in the East is worse. Five and thirteen Toronto Raptors are the worst in the East. Even the six and eighteen um, Charlotte Hornets have more road wins than the Golden State Warriors. And then out out uh, west, the only team that's that's worse than the Warriors is the the four and nineteen AAU Houston Rockets. Right, so. That's a concern. Um, I'm not too concerned because it is the Golden State Warriors. I think they can turn it on. And I think generally teams like the Golden State Warriors historically are better on the road to an extent because when it comes nut crunching time, you're just more focused on the road. You're in more business-like hotel, shoot around, meal, team meal, team film. You don't have the distractions at home. So they've, they've flipped that on its head. They seem to be much better in their own beds at home, that, that raucous ha- fan base in San Francisco. But um I don't know what else I put it down to. That's that's kind of all I've got, bro. But it, it sure is interesting. You look at Denver, number one in the in the West at eleven and ten on the road. So they're just over five hundred. They're number one in the West. So pretty pretty head scratching stuff. Yeah, agreed. And 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 I do agree with you. What you're saying about the the home and I mean the um, you know the double dip on the you know teams on the road like Dallas is doing it right now. They did Portland last night. They got shellacked and they're getting shellacked again. Last time I checked, back to back, and it is pretty interesting, especially with some of these teams. Like when you have Luca, you got to rest him the second night. That definitely does impact you. But um, you know, it's funny. Like Carlisle always talked about it when I was in Dallas about, especially around you know holidays, about it being a big distraction being home versus the road. I never really thought about it like that. I'm like, well, certain players allow themselves to get distracted, some don't. <coughs> but I guess you are right. There are. You know, when you're on the road, you know, you're in your hotel, you go out, maybe grab something to eat, you come back, you've got your whole shoot around deal, you come back, you take a nap, you know, there's a lot less distractions, you could sort of like shelter everything out, you don't have your family climbing all over you, you don't have, you know, I mean, you do have people probably calling you for tickets and stuff, but it's not, you know, you're probably less, way less distracting. And and now that I'm thinking about it, I think it does make a little bit more sense than it did back then. So, uh, yeah, the whole home road dynamic is a little bit different. So, yeah, it's a little weird, though, that there's only four. I'd like to sort of take a look and study it, like, over the years, what the average amount of teams and maybe a 12-year period of how many of these teams average winning records on the road at the end of the season. If it is four, is that the norm? Is it seven? Is it eight? I think I think it's more than four generally. I have to look to two, but I'd say it's more than four in general. Um, mm-hmm. Four is kind of I think that's an extreme. You know, to, to be number one in the West and be one game over five hundred, that's kind of that's that's glaring. Usually, those teams are if you're one or two in your conference, you, you've definitely got a winning record. So we're barely we're just getting four. Um, it, it was three, like I said, three days ago, and Denver got a big win in LA. It would have been the would been the other way around, right? It would have been. 10 and uh, ten and 11, so interesting nonetheless. All right, uh, Jokic, uh, we, love our, we love our strange analytical type stats. He's, he's first in per, PER. 
He's first in the league in plus minus. He's first in VORP. So there's something called value over replacement value, um, which is value over replacement. Yeah. Um, I, I really have no idea what that means. Um, I, I looked it up and tried to understand it, but I'm not too smart these days, pro. Uh, he's first in wins. And basically, he's the advanced stat, you know, analytics MVP of the league. Does that, does that then turn into the MVP of the league, pro? Useful, useless. It's pretty interesting, folks. I'm a, I'm a, as we know, I'm a pro uh, Dantage fan for MVP, but I mean, these numbers are pretty good. Like, he's two in usage. He's one. I think it's a stat that I keep too. I just get it on one of these sites. But it's, and sorry, uh, sorry, Vorp, I fucked that up. Uh, it's value over replacement player, not value over replacement value. That makes no sense. Right. So value over replacement. But what, do you yeah. have the number, Bogues, that, that 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 spit out to you? I mean, I know he's number one in it, but is there an actual number that they give you for that, or, or you just know that he's number I one? Don't, in it? I don't. I don't. I don't. Basically, this is the, def- the definition: is a box score estimate of, of the points per hundred team possessions that a player contributed above a replacement level, minus two point oh player, translated to an average team and prorated to an eighty game se- eighty two game season. Okay, so right now, and maybe it's the maybe it's a different stat, but I think it's the same. I got it in my database right now. I'm looking at it. And I get, I sort of get what they rank in all these stat categories in their position in the league. I think it's a box, uh, a box score plus minus. He's a plus twelve point six. So I don't know if that's the same stat that we're talking about, but no, he's at a, it's not. No, it's different. It's okay. different. Yeah, it's different. Okay, so yeah, so I think it's his plus minus um, when he's on the floor versus off. So he's a plus 12.6 when he's in the lineup, and that's number one in the league. And maybe that's another stat he's number one at. It's that, oh, it is, yeah. I mentioned that one, plus minus. Yeah, I've got I mean, first okay. in plus minus, first in yeah. first in per, first in VORP, first in wins. And there's actually another stat, Bogues, right? So God uh, God rest his soul, there's a, a, a gentleman that I knew for a long time. His name is Mark Warkentine. He was the GM, um, assistant GM in Portland. He, was, uh, he ran the Knicks for a while. Uh, he ran Denver, and um, he's a mentor of mine that I, I would have great conversations with. And he gave me this stat that they evaluate point guards with. It's called point um, pure point average. And it, I, I don't know how to calculate it. It's like your assists versus steals versus turnovers. And usually it's for a point guard. Usually point guards are number one in this list. And... Or maybe it's his position. He's number one at his position at it at six point four, and for the league, he's number three in the league at, at. And again, this is usually a stat that point guards flourish in, and he's number three in that in the league. So it is pretty. I'm sorry, and he's twenty fifth in usage in the league. That was by position before, but twelve point six plus minus. He's up. Per thirty two. He's number one in this. PPA is number three. I mean, the guy is—he's a stat sheet filler for sure, and um, I say it's useful. I mean, the, the guy is—the guy does all around stuff, and his team's number one in the league right now. And he, you know, he's—he's uh, he's definitely carrying. I mean, you got to say that that has to be worth something. I agree. Yeah, I think it's going to be—it's going to be close. I think there's a high chance his voter fatigue. Uh, with him going three three x, how, how many has anyone won three x before? By the way, pro three times. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, because MJ um, didn't do it, did he? Hold on, who did? Did MJ do it? Um, no. Did Bird do it? Hold on. 
NBA players three time MVP in a row. Let me see. Oh, here we go. Moses, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Let me see. Uh, yeah, Moses, Bill Larry, Ma- and Magic. Yeah, Larry did it. No, I don't think Magic did it. I think Russell did it. 61, 62, 63. Chamberlain did it in 66, 67, 68. And that fucker Larry Bird, 84, 85, 86. Man, was he good. Oh, Magic and, and Moses did it, just not, not in a row. Yes. Apologies. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I mean, it's a small club. It's a small club. That's crazy, um, it's a man. small club. So, so to, to do three in a row... He's deserved as anyone, so it'll be interesting to see what the voters do. But I think uh, my theory is I think he's going to get a bit of fatigue. I think Tatum, Tatum's up there. Doncic too, if they continue to crack that top four, has a chance as well. And Giannis is always flirting about. Embiid, mm, I think he's missed too many games now. I think he's out of that lineup. Um, will probably hurt him a little bit. All right, last one, pro. The Sydney Kings, pro, are the fastest-paced team outside the NBA. Um, a little stat that was reposted by Chase Buford, the head coach, which came from uh, Fran- Fran- Francesco Olivo at uh, F underscore Olivo 99 for those that want to check the tweet. He, he, he did a post around talking about EuroLeague teams, talking about different paces, um, some interesting tidbits. The fastest EuroLeague team as of now is by far slower, by far slower than the slowest NBA team. Varese and Paris, both coach from both co- coached by an American coach would be fast teams in the NBA. Um, and within all that, the Sydney Kings are the fastest outside of the NBA pro. So interesting. And, and Chase loves to, to get that pace going. Uh, we, we really try to push the ball and get extra possessions, but um, just an interesting, interesting stat, useful, useless. I say it's useful. I mean, that's, that's pretty, I mean, especially, especially in international, you know, my, I know it's probably you know again without studying it, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just sort of guess. I would assume that Australia is a faster pace than Europe, um, for the most part. But still, like, there's a mix. Yeah, there's a mix. There's some teams yeah. that grind you, and there's some teams that run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't expect you don't expect them to be the fastest team outside the NBA. Um, you know, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think there's definitely some validity to that. Agree. I'm useful in that one as well. I thought it was very, very interesting. And I love seeing these kind of random stats from people um, when they encompass the world and pace and comparing leagues. I I find that kind of stuff really interesting. I hope everyone else does too, right? Fact or fake news and we are done. Bogues, a lot of talk about Victor um, when Bayama. Have you seen him? Just probably the same highlights you've seen, yeah. Is he good enough to take an... He is good enough to take an NBA team year one into the playoffs. Fact or fake news? Well, it depends. It depends what team we're talking, pro. Um, Okay. If you're saying like the the Orlando Magic, yeah, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you put him on that team. They're 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 around that they're around that mark. I think because they're they've got enough kind of currency playing well with what they've kind of got already. That another piece like that would be huge. Um. Houston Rockets, no, in my opinion, because they're gonna they're gonna have an issue there with um, who's the man. Even though he'll clearly be the man, you have got a couple of knuckleheads on that team who won't want to give up the podium or the ball, especially for an international player, in my opinion. Um, who else you got in contention? You got the Spurs, OKC, and probably the Lake Lakers will lose their pick, so they won't get him. Um, I think it depends where he lands. It's a tough one. It depends where he lands. I don't think it's a given. 
Mm-hmm. You look at East. Like if you if you put him on Charlotte today, are they are they would you, would you say Charlotte would make it? No, uh, you're saying playing. You're saying playing, playing, right? Playing, not pl- not playoffs. Playing, yeah, right? top eight, top eight. Um, oh, top eight. Okay, I would say not. yeah, top eight. Yeah, Bogues, I would say no. Like I, I would just go with the numbers, but I do agree. It, it depends on the team. Um, I'll tell you what. Like I was talking to an NBA front office person today, uh, yesterday about it, and like you see some predicaments teams get themselves into, like. They they get a franchise player, and we don't know how good this guy's going to be. He's really good, don't get me wrong, but you have no idea how good he is. He's 7'2". A lot of players 7'2 at that build. Sometimes they get into some issues. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But like having assets around that player that you can go forward with and keep re-signing guys that could really help your team win, and then you get this guy. You don't have the pressure like Dallas has with Doncic to try to acquire new players to sort of keep everything you know going forward with that situation. Where like Houston, I, you know, we call them you know Houston Elite AU team, which they are. They're a fucking AU team, but like they do have some talent. So like if they did get Victor, right? You know, now you've got Jalen Green and Jabari Smith and Sangoon and him. And it's actually a pretty good situation. Jason Tate and, you know, Tyrese. And they got some decent players. And then you throw him in the mix. And then if you keep re-signing your guys and you got this, now you've got this sort of team around them, which would be good for him long-term. Where if you if you just draft this guy, you've got a bunch of role players that, you know, really don't have a clear cut number two, you might, you know, fear fear losing him after that second deal. Um, I don't think he's good enough to take a team year one into the playoffs. That's really hard to do. You know, but it depends. Like if it is Orlando, you're right, it'll probably, you know, that will probably put them over the edge. But it's really hard. Like even LeBron couldn't do it. You know, Kobe couldn't do it. A like year one it's really hard to like take a, a situation that's not really a winning one and then just wield themselves into the playoffs with them. Like, well, Kobe, they, I think they were already a playoff team when Kobe, they got Kobe, but um, like most of these guys, it's really hard, you know, to really like learn how to carry a team and sort of do what needs to be done year one, especially when you're that young coming in. I'd probably say fake news. I don't think he'll be able to take a team to the playoffs year one. The only thing that will probably go against that is if he's on an Orlando or 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 maybe Oklahoma City or something like that. But if he's like Houston and you know some of these teams like that, I don't think he really makes much of a difference win wise. Yeah, I agree. I fake news it. And guess what? Second episode in a row, pro for some self pub. Um, there is guess guess what? This is this is an amazing stat. This was told to me when I was playing back that. That year, there's only three number one picks to ever make the playoffs. Their rookie year, bro. Only three. three. Have a guess at who one of those is. Three number one picks. I'm gonna say you. Yes. Yeah. How'd you know that? Yeah, that you is know, amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fucking good. Now, um, I'm not saying I was the be. I wasn't the be all and end all. I was nine and seven a night, so it wasn't all my doing. But uh, I was one of the fortunate NBA first picks to make it their rookie year. There's two other ones. I'm gonna say David Robinson. Nope. Really? He didn't make the playoffs? His rookie year? Hold on, Bogues. I think was he the number be... one pick, though? No, yes. no, no. Was he the first pick, though? Yes. Hold on. I'm going to check that out because I'm a big fan of David Robinson. You might I be think, right, actually. David, because here's the thing, Bogues. 
which was like will never happen today. He got drafted. He was out of the Navy. He had to wait two years to play in the NBA. And then and then what happened was his rookie year, they put they they hold on. Uh they were yes, they were 56 and 26 his rookie year. Because they put like Terry Cummings, they put they they put like Terry Cummings, they put uh Sean Elliott with him, they put he had Vernon Maxwell on his team. He had Rod Strickland. He had a good team. I was a huge fan of that team that year. And um, again, he gets. You're right. It's four. It's four. Yeah, You're right. So, so there's two. <laughs> I just checked no, it. Yeah, no, they were 31 and 51 the year before. Yeah. 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 Um, You're right. It's four. But waiting two years, a fucking seven footer had to go on a submarine for two years. I imagine how <laughs> fucked up that is. I mean, imagine that, like, they'd have the ASPCA or whatever suing the fucking NBA $20 million lawsuit to force him out. This fucker's, like, in a sub fucking, sh- you know, he's fucking, what's it called? He's he's cleaning bird shit off the fucking aircraft carriers and shit and, and being in submarines and loading submarine, you know, submarine fucking torpedo, you know, while he could have been making millions in the NBA. That's unbelievable. All right, so that's two... Um, was Hakeem Olajuwon number one? No, I don't believe you. Was that Patrick? Uh, U- All right, Patrick Ewing. No, no. Uh, was it? One's a Laker. One's a Laker. Okay, number one pick. Um, Magic Johnson. Yep, that's one. And the other one is a former teammate of the guy you just spoke about before. Spoke about in 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 one of these four. Yep. Oh, Tim Duncan. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so I remember we um we had Terry Stotts as our as our head coach and um I was playing like 20, 25 minutes, was was playing well, but up and down. And um Terry used that as a stat to the media to kind of give me pump me up a little bit. Hey, do you guys know not many not many number one picks have made the playoffs? You know how many it was? And it was four at the time. I totally bombed on on, on well, Robinson. So how about that, you're you're um, one of four. And but and hey, that stat is useful, by the way. <laughs> you're not fired great but yeah um, that was just a, just an interesting don't get the opportunity to pat myself on the back two episodes in a row bro and I know you gave me a lot of shit last time and all <laughs> these assholes in the comments were, were laughing at you saying shocker <laughs> but here's another week for it what Good else job, you got for buddy. us hey pat yourself on the back another, I should have got you a giant <laughs> hand to pat yourself on the back with every week but I didn't get the I Homer back scratcher yeah I need I need to do that um all right, Bogues, we're going to say we're going to talk about uh, the Memphis Grizzlies and the Brooklyn Nets. All right. Both or at least one, they're two seeds right now. One of those teams will make the NBA Finals. Fact or fake news? Ooh. I'm going to so go. Right Bo- now I think Boston's going to make uh, Yeah, you get the Celtics. Got a high chance. Mm-hmm. So I would say one of them. Yeah, I think that I'd say one of them will. Um, I don't think it's going to be Memphis. So I think it's, I'm going to side with Boston. But um, Memphis is a good insurance policy on the back of it. But I, I don't think they're ready yet. But Boston's hard to bet against, man. They they look they look like a well a well oiled machine. So I'm going to go fact on that one, bro. Yeah, I'm going to say fake news. I think that I think they'll probably fall short. Um, I don't think Brooklyn's good enough. I I don't think they match up with Boston well enough. And you don't really know what's going to happen with their seeding. Like if they're going to go to three, they're going to go to four. Um, 
anything like that, folks. I'll say fake news on that. I usually say fact on a lot of the stuff, but I'll probably say fake news, even though I I thought up the fucking question, which makes me more of a moron than than one would think. Um, so yeah, I'll say fake news. I, I don't know. I mean, Memphis might be good enough, but like. You know, Denver, Golden State, you never know. All right, Bogues, right now, Phoenix Suns sitting at number 10. The, the Phoenix Suns will finish out of the top they're, 10. Actually, they're 11. They're 11, they're 11 actually, right now. Right now. Utah's jumped them. Yep, Utah's in 10. Phoenix is 11 at 21 and 23. Right they're now, tied they're tied with Utah, but U- Utah have an extra win. So, Okay, let's, I'll rephrase. The Phoenix Suns, I was going to say fall out of the top 10. I'm going to say fall out of the top 8. In, in not not after the play-in, but just before the play-in, just as a solidify spots, they will finish in the um, outside of the top eight. Fact or fake news? So it comes down to diagnosis of getting them healthy first and foremost. But from what I'm seeing out there, they don't look good right now. Minnesota's taking a little surge as well, by the way. So congrats to them. But it's so close. You look at okay. You look at. Um, Denver, Memphis, New Orleans, Sacramento. That's mm-hmm. the five and a half games from first is Sacramento in fourth. Then you've got Dallas, seven games behind. Clippers, eight games behind. Minnesota, eight and a half. Golden State, nine. Portland, nine. Utah Jazz, nine and a half. Phoenix in 11, nine and a half. Oklahoma City, and they're in 12th, nine and a half. And the Lakers, 10 and a half. So you've got essentially 10 spots um, or 13 to, to five. So, so eight spots, sorry. Um, within two games of each other. It's insane. I, I love it. I, I think this is great. I think it's great for the game. It keeps keeps you engaged, has teams that you know won't blatantly tank like a Utah Jazz was supposed to. But Phoenix, I, I just don't see them finishing above anyone above them. I, I maybe the only team is Minnesota. They're seven right now. I could see them potentially falling down. But shit, I take Utah over Phoenix right now. Um, as of today, just in the way they play, I think Utah are tough beat. They play hard. They play well. Phoenix look like they don't like each other. Um, their rotations are all over the place. They've got a lot of injuries, and there's reports out of there that you know Aiden's not too happy still, even though he signed that extension, that, or they match that extension. So there is some turmoil. I don't think they get back to eight. I think they'll they'll probably scratch a plane uh, nine ten. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to say uh, fact. They're going to stay out of that out of that top eight. Yeah, I say fact too. I mean, it's a lot. Of, I mean, this like who's gonna fall out? That's the thing. Like Dallas is gonna stay. You know, the t- like De- obviously Denver, Denver, Memphis, New Orleans. You would think is gonna stay top three. Would usually say Sacramento. Would usually say Sacramento. So they still got a chance. Yeah. It still is Sacramento oh, pro, yeah, but they're lighting that beam. They're lighting that beam a lot. They're playing well, dude. It's still Sacra. It's Sacra fucking Mento. You're right. That's what they should name themselves again. <laughs> Sacra fucking Mento. That's, what, that's oh, if they don't make if they don't make the even. I mean, playing they should definitely make a plane. They're, they're four Dude, they games. drop. They, hey, they, they, no, seriously. If they drop out, they, they drop out. <laughs> you put them right in the CBA in China. That's it. Like no, no, don't pass go. Don't collect two hundred bucks. You're going to you. You're gonna go. Your new home is in Guang fucking Zhou. So yeah, you're going to Guangzhou. If you can't, they cannot fall out here. They they yeah. have one four straight. They're twenty four and eighteen. But I'm just saying, is it's still it's Sacramento? You're like man, for- like. It's no, no, Sacra fucking Mento. Instead, you know, I, I'm just renaming all these teams Houston Elite AU, and it's Sacra fucking Mento. 
And well, Sacramento is one of those teams that they could be, they could have a, a six game lead. I mean, you know, they could be six games away from, from playoffs with five games left and still somehow get eliminated. You ever watch the Bronx Tale? No, I haven't. I haven't. Great movie. Great movie. Uh, Robert De Niro, uh, unbelievable movie. So it's like a, this like mob movie um, uh, about this kid that's like, that lives in, that lives in Brooklyn. And he lives like next to this this sort of club with all these gangsters in it, right? So there's this one character named Eddie Mush. Guy loses every fucking bet, degenerate gambler, right? There's one of the iconic scenes in this movie where they're at the uh, the horse the horse track, and they all get they all bet the same horse, and they all like. Like all this, the mob, the kid, they all bet. They're all fucking excited. They're like, there's no way they're going to lose, right? Then all of a sudden, coming out of the fucking door is Eddie Mush fucking like, you, you got to look it up. It's great. He's fucking, he's like cheering for this horse. They got him. The gangster looks up, see that Eddie Mush bet the horse. He starts grabbing everybody's tickets and ripping them up. And they're like, Sonny, what are you doing? He goes, it's fucking over. Eddie Mush bet the fucking horse. We're done. The fucking <laughs> horse is going to lose. That's fucking, that's Sacramento. The Eddie Mush of the NBA. They, but it's only three Mush. and a half games, both. It's a great, I, I'm going to send it to you. It's a YouTube clip. But it's fuck, It's Sacramento. You never know. But you got to think that they're going to stay sort of four to four to eight. Like four, they'll probably, they probably won't finish four because Golden State's going to make a run. Uh, the Clippers are going to finally start playing, guys. You never know what's going to happen with Dallas. Minnesota's going to drop. If, if I had a guess, Minnesota drops, Utah drops. But like, I don't know how many more teams are going to fucking drop out of that. You know, like, you know, right mm, now mm. they're 11. Now, who would you say is 10? Is Portland 10? Portland 9, Utah 10. But 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 Utah's only – they're the same record. Yeah. Utah just have an extra win. So Utah have an extra win, extra loss. Yeah. Um, I, I, I say they're going to f- fall out of the top eight. I don't think they finish top eight. Uh, and there's a chance they fought, finish top out of the top 10. I'm like, San Antonio, you can't catch San Antonio, you can't catch Houston. The Lakers are going to make some sort of a run. Um, I don't know what that is. You don't know what Davis is going to do. I don't think Oklahoma City will allow themselves to get up there. I think they're going to be trying They're trying to increase their odds, obviously, for Victor. And then Phoenix is, Phoenix is next four at Memphis, Brooklyn at home, Indy at home, and Memphis at home. So, I mean – that could be that could be a one and three right there as well. Yeah, like um, if I'm them bogues, like I'm I'm sort of sitting in the cut there, and like you're not gonna catch those teams like Houston or whatever from Phoenix, but like Booker's out, but I don't think Booker's gonna be out that much longer, and they're gonna want to make a run there. But I'll tell you what, from what we're hearing about, you know, I talked to a couple of media people the last couple of days, and it's really bad in Phoenix. It's really bad, and. Like, you know, with team, you know, team unity and, and all that. Like, I mean, things could go south there. Do you just say fuck it and you just say next year? I don't think you can do that. I think you got to keep rolling forward with it. But I don't know, man. If you got that much turmoil, you got that much injury stuff, you got the whole Crowder deal. I don't know, man. It's uh, it's interesting, man. I don't, I don't, I don't know where they go from here. But I don't think they finish. They will not finish in the top eight. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree with that. I think it's um, 
They need those guys back that are hurt, but even with them back, I think their locker room's in some shambles. They've got some things to figure out, so Monty Williams is going to have his work cut out for him. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Basketball Series. Appreciate everyone's support. Please like, subscribe, share, do all those fun things. Numbers continue to grow, so we appreciate that, and we'll see you all next week. Later, guys. See you next week. Let's get rogue.